Guys, I'm Adam Hopkins. Uh, I'm here. It's my fourth Sunday here, third this year. Um, I am going to go ahead and make kind of a little announcement. This Thursday, the leadership team um, put together a little proposal asking me to be uh, their teaching pastor. Um, as a teacher that's working in the school system, they tried to make it really um, doable for me. I mean, they, they've, they're doing everything they can to make, you know, kind of my life stay normal and to be able to come up here on Sunday and do this. And uh, I let them know on Friday that I accepted. Um, <laughs> so, and that's a way better response than boo or silence. Like, oh man, oh gosh, we're going to have to listen to this guy. Um, but guys, uh, I, I didn't, you know, I've been thinking, I don't know how I'm going to do this, you know, somebody asked me, are you going to do sermon series? Are you going to, you know, how are you going to do this? I'm like, I don't know. You know, I don't, I honestly don't have a clue. Um, but I did unintentionally kind of put a, a series together here. You know, two weeks ago, I talked about um, a new beginning and how, uh, I, and we, we looked at the scripture, uh, the scripture prescriptions, more cowbell. Okay, I got to quit that. Scripture, scripture. Uh, from 1 Corinthians 9.24, and um, we, we, we looked at this. It said, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. And this is just the beginning of our race, and one of the things we need to do is, is be prepared, preparing to run our race because the prize, I think we forget too often, is Jesus and his presence in our life and, and joy that you know, that, that we're, we kind of keep this little calm, level presence that we have on our lives, no matter kind of what our circumstances, you know, dictate, or no matter what is going on around us. Um, I did. I did forget, though, while I was telling you my story, because in, in the new beginning, I was telling you about how I got started and how I ended up here, and it's just an amazing journey of, you know, just the way things had to work out. I mean, me and the leadership agree. It had to be, it just had to be orchestrated by God. Um, but I did forget to tell you one little detail of the story that if this hadn't happened, once again, there's no way I'd be here. Um, about six years ago, uh, I was at Tomasi Salem teaching and it just wasn't going well. Um, we couldn't keep any teachers there. They were usually just brand new teachers that couldn't get jobs in other places, so they came to Salem. Some of them stayed a year and left. Some of them were staying six months and, and filling in in other positions, so we were finding long-term subs who really couldn't teach the classes. Our test scores were dropping. You know, we were really low, and it was just, it was just bad. And I didn't like teaching there, and we had a lot of other teachers that didn't really like like teaching there, and so um, they just started doing this thing at school called come late, uh, like these late arrival days, and I sent out an email, because I read Second uh, Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and I'll heal their land, and um, you know, I got, the more I got to thinking about that, I was like, this says my people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my faith. It doesn't say that everybody has to do it. It just says that the people who are called by my name, the people who say they're Christians, the people who say, yes, I'm a Christian, I've been saved, if they will do this, then He will heal our land. Everybody doesn't have to do it. Just the people who say they're Christians. So I sent out an email. I said, hey, on this late arrival day... Um, any teacher that will, if you will, come. Uh, we're going to pray, 
and we're going to just pray for our school. And um, so by the Wednesday came, I had like four people come, which I said was awesome. I told them everything I told you. And I said, let us start doing our jobs as unto the Lord, just us. Just the people who you call by my name. Forget about what everybody else does. Forget about everything. Let's do our part. So we prayed. Um, this went on for like um, three times. And then people were coming later. And what I started doing was I would type up these devotionals. I said, well, if we can't meet, I'll just type up like a little scripture and a few sentences about it. And so that went on for about a month. And then somehow people were starting to forward this to other teachers who were forwarding it to other teachers, who were forwarding it to other people. And this thing just snowballed into where I, all of a sudden I was expected to write a Wednesday morning devotional. And um, I haven't said this to you, but I do have a website. If y'all want to write it down and visit, it's www.wednesdaymorningdevotional.com. And that's the top of, you know, that's the top of the screen. That's what the, the page looks like. And so I've been doing these every Wednesday. So the first one I ever did, I think I looked, I sent it out to six people. And now, um, guys, I mean, it's, the, at, at least it goes out to 2,000 different people today. <laughs> who, uh, and I always, you know, and the one thing, no matter how many people get on it, I tell my wife, I'm like, oh, man, somebody from India read my stuff today. Or, hey, somebody from Germany got on, you know. I'm going to have to get me one of them little country, uh, country charts. I'm like, yeah, somebody read it from there. So, you know, who knew that just... Sitting down and typing something on a computer, man. You know, when God says, go unto the world, I'm like, how in the world do you do this, God? It's just amazing. And so um, just get on there, check that out, uh, tell some friends about it. Um, If you want to do this through Facebook, it's through WMD, Wednesday Morning Devotional. You'll get all kinds of weapons of mass destruction stuff and all that. But um, if if you find it, you know, it's got around 1,800 people in it and um i have to like um what except your uh you know, I, mean, I, I did let anybody do it but then like weirdos were getting on there and putting cuss words on my page and stuff like that so i had to you just invite i will approve you uh, you know as long as you look like a real person <laughs> um but anyway i've spent longer on that than i wanted to um you know, in that same new beginning, we say God wants to pour out His Spirit. I believe that's His will for this church. He wants to pour out His Spirit on this church, and we've got to prepare to run the race. You know, this year, I think, is about preparation. And um, so the next week, I talked about a new container. If He does want to pour in His Spirit, will He be able to pour it into you? Because Luke chapter 5, verse 38 says, No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And I talked about how if God pours His Spirit and you stay the same and you've already been kind of used, well, your wine skin will expand again and it's dry and it'll crack and all the wine gets spilled out. New wine must be poured into new wine skin. So I said, listen, you've got to be able to answer your wins. When, you know, the Bible says, do you give? When? What's your plan for giving? When? It doesn't say if, if you pray, when you pray. Do you have that time where you get alone with God? It's just you and Him. When you pray and when you fast. And some of you made the um, profession that they declared your fast that, yes, between now and 
March, March and June, whenever, you're going to say, yes, I'm going to take that 21 days and I'm going to do the Daniel fast or I just eat fruits and vegetables. Uh, I'm kind of on the, you know, I'm at that, I'm at that part right now because I'm on day 17. And, you know, I'm at that part right now where, like, you know, all these commercials, man, just make my mouth just like, oh, man, I want to go to, like, Pizza Hut. And I don't even really like Pizza Hut. And, you know, I, I get all that. But at the same time, the more... Um, I, 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 my spirit, man, it's like every little thing, these little just kind of cheesy Christian songs on the radio that normally I turn, you know, all of a sudden they're like, oh my God, that's awesome, you know? It's just spirit just becomes so so sensitive, and I love that, and I, and I want to keep that. And so, you know, when do you do your win? So let's say you've determined that this is a new beginning for you. You want God to pour His Holy Spirit into you and on to this church. You want us as a congregation to be overflowing with the Spirit so that empty people who come in here can be filled. At least feel that presence of God. You know, this, a lot of people, I love this line, would say, you know, some people say, listen, I, I didn't really even, you know, believe in God or I've been far away from God. But when I walked into that place, man, I just felt different. I just felt something different. That's what you want people to say when they come in here and they see people worshiping, you know, not just playing songs, but, but worshiping, playing songs to God. And when you hear somebody come up here and preach the Bible, the Word of God, you just say, listen, I, I don't really get it, I don't understand all of it, but I just felt something. And that's the atmosphere you want to create in here. So, let's say you're praying and giving, and even have made preparations to fast in the coming weeks and months. Those are our private disciplines. So, those are the things that we have to do when nobody's looking. That's our training. You know, when you got the runners lining up at the start of a cross-country meet or any kind of race, they all look like pros. You know, they're stretching, they're doing all this. But you know, by the end of the race, who's prepared. And I believe giving, praying, fasting, doing those things. I think that's how you prepare. And that's how, you know, when the, when the Lord comes back, um, that, that you stand, you can, you can be confident. You know, you want to be doing what you've always been doing, which is praying and fasting and giving and staying in His presence. You want to, be, you want to have been trained to do that. So, you know, as, as far as the praying, giving, and fasting goes, you know, God repeatedly tells us, for the, if we, for our Father who sees what is done in secret will openly reward us. You've got to have a plan for doing this. And I know there's a few teenagers in here. I got to thinking, um, you know, how would I... How would I have done this as a teenager if I truly wanted to follow God? I mean, I worked at a golf course as a uh, card attendant. Um, and so, you know, I made about $100 a week. You know, so if I was a teenager, I, you don't want to come up with anything like a hard plan. You want to make sure your plan's doable. I thought, man, if I could go back as a 16-year-old, I'd love to probably just give like $5 a week every time I go into church. That would, uh, you know, I'd be... Five percent. I know you're supposed to make it to ten, but what a good starting point! You could, you, it's doable. I could do that, and then maybe say, no matter what, every day I'm gonna read a chapter of this Bible, and I'm gonna pray for a few minutes. You know, that's doable. That's sustainable. And as far as fasting, when I was a teenager, I'd be like, Lord, I ain't even close to that. <laughs> you know, I'm not fasting. You know, I'm going Burger King, <laughs> whatever. But that that's a good plan, I think, for a teenager. As it's just to, to make sure you got a plan. Yes, this is when I give. This is when I pray. And this is even when I fast. I mean, it doesn't have to be completely starting out with just fruits and vegetables or even nothing. Like, just say, hey, for a week, I'll eat everything the same. But how about I just drink water? 
with my meal. Forego the soft drinks, forego, you know, all the, the tea, the sweet tea and all that stuff. Just, just try that for a week. Um, but have a plan to come up with this. So after all that, you want more of God. You have a plan to give, pray and fast. How will the world know? If we're doing all that, that's our private disciplines. How does the world see us different? How will your non-believing friends see that you're changing and becoming different? You've got to start a new walk. And that's the title of this message. It's called A New Walk. So before I get started, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much, man, just for, the, for this time, for, for leading me in my life and, and starting this church on a brand new journey. Uh, I can't wait, Lord, just to see where you take us in six months, a year, two years, five years. Um, I think you want to do great and mighty things here. And Lord, if we're a church that's focused on you and that each of us as individuals will do our part, Lord, I can't imagine the atmosphere that could be created here, Lord, where just somebody walks in and it's just immediate. They feel you and they just they come here and they just feel comforted if they're hurting. And, and we just ask, Lord, that your presence fill this time, that you'll open up our, our eyes so we can see, open up our ears so we can hear, open up our minds so we can know, and open up our hearts, Lord, so we can love you more and leave this place, Lord, just a little bit better, a little bit better equipped to, to go out into the world and show the people that we associate with on a daily basis what you're like, Lord. Help us, help through our lives. May you change many other lives and point people towards you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the main verse I wanted to use today was from uh, Micah. And, you know, when I was sitting there thinking, you know, I knew this one verse from Micah, but I didn't really know anything about Micah. I was sitting there thinking, now, what do I know about Micah? And it was absolutely nothing. And uh, so I kind of spent a little bit of time just researching uh, Micah. Now, if you check out Micah 1.1, the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Morsheth during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, the vision. So as soon as I started, I'm like, now I know that Hezekiah dude. And I also knew that um, af- before Jotham was Uzziah. Now some of you may have read in Isaiah, where Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And then he goes on to give this you know, unbelievable vision of heaven. You know, He sees the angels and he sees all this and it's, uh, so I remembered Uzziah, so right after Uzziah comes, um, comes Jotham. And so this is the time period, so Micah's got two other people that actually are, are preaching in Israel and Judea at this time. you got Micah kind of in the south, he's kind of the southern preacher. Um, you know, that's kind of what I kind of way I think of myself, you know, I'm from Salem, so you know, I'm the little Salem preacher. And then you got Isaiah, who's preaching in Jerusalem. You know, he's kind of like the main, you know, the Andy Stanleys, the, all that kind of thing. And then uh, up north, you have a guy named Hosea. 
And you remember Hosea had to uh, endure his wife, you know, cheating on him repeatedly. And God saying, hey, go get her. Bring her back. You know, like, why? Because this is what I do to you. You guys are constantly giving yourself to other gods, and I'm constantly taking you back. It's a word picture. I want you to show them what they're doing. Because they say, oh, I can't believe Hosea keeps taking her back. Look what she does. That's right. And you, can, you wouldn't believe how God keeps taking you back even though you keep running off from him. So you got in the north, Hosea doing that, his thing. You got Isaiah doing his thing in Jerusalem. And down south, you got Micah doing his thing. And this comes in a time, this is about 700 B.C., so this is 2,700 years ago. Um, and it spans about 61 years. And I love to do a little bit of the math. I don't know if the verses um, do this. I'll say this if they don't. But in, um, let's look at the first king in Jotham. Uh, Jotham is from 2 Kings 15, 34 to 35. Now, this is about Jotham. And I love how the Bible, especially in Kings, sums their lives up in just a, just a few paragraphs. I'm mean, like, just a couple of paragraphs. I'm talking their whole lives get summed up. And it makes me think that, you know, what, would people, what are people going to say about you at the end of your life. You know, they're not going to go through all the details of your life. They're going to sum it up. And this is Jotham's summation. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Good start, okay? Just as his father Uzziah had done. So remember Uzziah, this is Isaiah, when the year he died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Um, the high places, however, were not removed. The people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense there. Jotham rebuilt the upper gate of the temple of the Lord. So you got this one little flaw. And what I picture this as in my study of the high places, this was kind of like his just-in-case place. You know, so like other religions, other people would burn incense to these other gods. And they believed like the gods were separated. There was like a god of fertility, a god of rain. And so... What he was probably doing was going up here and, you know, when the crops were planted, maybe just burning incense to the God of rain and saying, you know, okay, just in case you're up there, we want a good crop this year. Just, just little stuff, doing stuff like other people. He had that little small thing against him where you, he compromised just a little bit, okay, just a little bit. But after him, now he was 25 years old, when he started reigning as king, and until he reigned until he was 41, so that was 16 years. Now his son was named Ahaz. Now Ahaz was 20 years old when he reigned as king, so nothing could go wrong with a 20-year-old as king, right? So 20 years old until he was 36, so he also reigned 16 years. Now this is his summation, 2 Kings 16, 3 through 4. Now this is Ahaz. He followed the ways of the kings of Israel and even sacrificed his son in the fire, engaging in the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. And one more, he offered sacrifice. He offered sacrifices, just like his dad, he offered the sacrifice, but he took it further. He sacrificed his son through the fire and burned incense at the high places just like his dad, but look what he did. On the hilltops and under every spreading tree, he took what his dad 
did and took it to like new levels. Now guys, there's a huge lesson in this for us as dads, especially us as dads. Whatever I tolerate in moderation, do not be, I should not be surprised if my little boy sitting right over there, or he was, I guess my mom had to take him out. He is a little crazy, but all right. Um, but my little boy, I got to watch out. He may t- he'll take it to excess. Okay, so yeah, this is okay to do this in moderation. All right, well, your boy is going over here and doing it in excess. You know, well, he should learn moderation. No, really, daddy should have, shouldn't have been doing this at all. Okay, daddy should have been consecrating himself to the Lord. He should have been keeping separate and not allowing these things. So be careful that what you allow in moderation, you better be careful because your kid could be like Jotham's and be like an Ahaz and take it to excess and take it further than you ever would have wanted it to go. Now, after Ahaz comes Hezekiah. Now, Hezekiah, you need to read uh, 2 Kings, you know, 16 or uh, 18, 19, somewhere around there, because he's got a fascinating story, and it actually goes into detail. But here's kind of the basic sum, uh, summation of Hezekiah's life. This comes from 2 Kings chapter 18. Uh, he removed the high places. He's like, okay, granddad offered on these high places a little bit. Now, you know, my dad went way crazy with this stuff, so I said, I'm putting a stop to all that. I remember he removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces. Now, I love this. It's so cool. The, the brine snake Moses had made. Now, if you remember when they were in the desert, this, God sent the serpents and they bit them, and they were dying. And... You know, so God told Moses, hey, build this bronze serpent and anybody who looks upon it will be spared. And it was a picture of the cross where if any of us today will look up to the cross and see Jesus there and allow our sin to be placed on it and ask for forgiveness, we can have a new life in Him. It's a picture of that. So He broke into pieces that bronze snake that He had made for up to that time the Israelites had been burning incense to it. So they were kind of treating... That like a God. So instead of becoming something that represented God who saved them, they started worshiping the statue itself. So he took that and he took the bronze and he made an altar out of it to which, so which they could sacrifice properly like God had instructed them to do so. So it's in that span of 61 years, is what I add up, because Hezekiah reigned for 29 years. Um, and once again, if you read the story, he had a nice little thing where he almost died, had an extension on his life, and he kind of did some dumb stuff, which, of course, we all do. But you, you ought to check that out. It'd be some good Bible study reading just for this week if you want to read on Hezekiah's life. So that was 61 years that he spans, and that's the time that Micah, Hosea, and Isaiah are ministering. So you can imagine what they've seen. You know, they've seen kings honor God, but have just a little bit that they allowed. And then they had kid, you know, kings that just totally dishonored God. And then they had one all of a sudden that's going to go to extreme and back to honoring God. And so Micah is a preacher in the southern kingdom. And he tells in chapter 1, after, you know, where it says what the, um, the time period that he was, in chapter 1 he's saying, he says, man, the Lord sees what's going on. He's not going to remain silent. 
He's, this is destruction, guys, is coming because we're doing some things that we shouldn't be doing. And this goes for the priests, this goes for the people. And the first thing you'll see around chapter 2, he says the rich people and the powerful people are exploiting the poor. You're taking all these loopholes and trying to buy their land, you're stealing their land, you're making them pay you more interest than they should be paying. The greedy are accumulating land and wealth by any means necessary, and you're separating, you know, the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer, to which I thought, well, man, it's a good thing that's not going on today. Okay, all right, y'all got that, you know, because, man, I read 1% of of the world's population, 1% owns 40% of all the money there is to be had. And if you go to 2%, they own half. So half of all the money that is to be had out there in the world is owned by 2% of the population. That is insane. And it's getting worse. So, you know, we can relate to this. And then the other thing, around chapter 3, he says this land is full of false prophets. There's preachers out there saying, listen, all you really need to do is just believe in God. That's all you have to do. You don't have to worry about your sin. You don't have to destroy sin in your life. All you have to do is just believe. You can have your sin and your heaven too. You can have your cake and you can eat it too. You can just keep, you can live any way you want. There's no consecration, no separation from this world. You can live any way you want. Don't worry about separating yourself from this world. You don't have to be consecrated. You can can have your sin and your heaven too. And you know, I was like, once again, you know, good thing we don't have that going on today. You know, preachers just that'll go up there and just say whatever they want to to get people into their church. And hey, you know, God's cool with your sin. You know, he's not really, he's never going, he's not going to send anybody to hell. He's a God of love. He's all that. And you can, you can find that. And if you just want to find a place where I go to church on Sunday to feel better about myself, and then Monday through Saturday I still live, do anything I want, go against the Word of God, well, as long as I'm back on Sunday and I say I'm sorry, he's cool with it. Okay? And Micah absolutely says, you've got to stop that. You are bringing destruction about on our nation. It has got to stop. Well, then... Around Micah chapter 6, God speaks. And I love the introduction in Micah chapter 6. Check this out. Listen to what the Lord says. Okay? Just, I love just the, the thunder of this, the majesty of this. Stand up. Plead my case before the mountains. Not just your ears. I'm talking the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against His people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you. Also Aaron 
and Miriam. Remember what I did for you guys. This corruption of y'all exploiting the poor. And this, oh, God's fine with everything. You can keep your sin. Like, this is not even possible if you don't go back in time and I bring you out of Egypt. You could have still been slaves back there. You could still be under Pharaoh's heavy, hard, beaten hand. He could... He could still be oppressing you, but I brought you out of that, and you so quickly forget. And that's what, I mean, how do you respond to that? What has God done? What have I done to you? Oh, you've done nothing but show us kindness and mercy and patience. You've been awesome to us. You've been completely patient with us, but they don't see that. And it's the same with us. I mean, you know, I told you guys about about my wife and how we... We struggled through miscarriage, you know. And guys, listen, I was so bitter at God through all that. And, you know, I'm sitting there like, oh, you know, God, you know, you sure don't mind giving it to these high school girls, but here we are married and you don't. And I mean, I got, I got that way with God and I was so sarcastic. But if I could, at the end of it all, I'm like, man, I got no right to be like that. If he, if he don't want to give us children, that's his business. How about we learn to honor him Without that, if that's not a gift he wants to give, maybe he's got something better in store for us. And that was a long process to get to that point. But I can't sit there and say, what have you done for me, God? Because all I really deserve from God is hell. I mean, I didn't, I didn't live for him as a teenager when I knew better. When I hit 20, I, I wasn't any much, much better than Ahaz. I didn't actually worship at these altars and all this stuff. But I didn't live for God. I didn't care about doing what he asked me to do. But I did get to a point where I did finally destroy all that stuff I was doing and said, you know what, God, I believe you're better. I believe you're better than what the world has to offer. And that's what we have to come to believe, that that being poor with God is better than being rich without Him. That's what it's all about, coming to the point where no matter what I have, I will honor Him with with my life. No matter what He does, He's done for me. He saved me. He sent His Son from heaven to die for me. All I had to do was ask and say, Lord, will you forgive me of my sin, all that junk I've done? Will you come into my heart and change me? Will you clean me up? Will you let me go to heaven? He says, yes. I didn't deserve that. So whatever else happens to me, if it's good, is just a bonus. And they had forgotten that. And that's what Micah brings them back to and says, listen, man. You're just forgetting who God is. You're forgetting what He does. And you're living for such all this temporary stuff that is so worthless, so meaningless. I mean, as I read this, I'm sitting there, we are so much like this society. So what does it look like to walk with God? What does it look like to start a new walk? And I did all this introduction and kind of built Micah up in that that time period and related to us. To say one little verse, probably a ton of you have memorized. Uh, I'd read through the Bible twice, I believe, and didn't even recognize it. And my wife one day was just saying, hey, I'm just trying to live by Micah 6, 8. And I'm sitting there like, what's Micah 6, 8? And uh, so I go look at my Bible, and I'm just her saying a little thing like that. Just, just completely changed the way I looked um, at life. He has shown you, O oh mortal, He's shown us what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? What does He want as Christians who are saved? What do you want, God? What do you want from me? Here it is. Act justly. 
be fair and honest. That's acting justly. Just be fair with your people. When Micah's talking to these people, they're taking and selling things and making their scales look off, you know, to make it look like the way less than a pound to selling it by the pound and that kind of stuff. He's like, hey, why don't you just be fair and be honest? Do justly. Do what is right, what you know to be right, right now. You know, if you're a teenager in school, you know, how are you treating school? You get the opportunity to be educated. Is it a place where you go there and you just disrupt, you don't listen, you don't do any work, then, then you ain't hurting anybody but you. You need to go and you need to get your education. And I know you would expect that from a math teacher in the school system. But that's the first test of your life that you got to pass. I mean, if you fail that test, you can't make it through to get a high school diploma. Man, you're just setting up the stage for your life to to go nowhere. If it's, it's, if it's that easy for you to quit school, well, as soon as your job gets hard, what's going to keep you from quitting? As soon as your marriage gets hard, what's going to keep you from quitting? You've got no tenacity. You've never prepared to run the race that is life. Getting through school is part of that training. Act justly. Love mercy. How can we not love mercy? I mean, especially if you've been saved for a while and you know what you've done. You know those disobedient things you've done right in front of God. He's watching us. You know. I mean, I know I have. I mean, I've sat there and and asked God to forgive me for something on Sunday and turned around and done it again on Monday. I'm so glad He wasn't unmerciful with me. I deserved the lightning bolt and Bam! Adam, if that's the way you're going to be, you're going to ask me for forgiveness on Sunday and turn around and do it again on Monday? You're going to keep this little cycle of sin going? I mean, I'm glad He was merciful to me. He kept forgiving me and kept forgiving me, and I don't know how He changed me, but I got to a point where I didn't want that stuff anymore. I can't take credit. I didn't change. He changed me. And so, when somebody does me wrong, how can I not show them mercy? How can I not be good to them in light of how God, how good God has been to me? I have to show, show mercy and be in love with mercy because I wouldn't be here without His mercy. So it becomes easy to love mercy. And here it is. Walk humbly with your God. What does this look like? I can only tell you how I try to meet this requirement. And you guys can come on out and be setting up if you want. Um... But I trust, guys, and here's what I want you to think about all week. What does it look like for someone who is me, with my circumstances, my situation, where I am in life, to walk humbly with God? What does it look like for me to do what I do day in and day out? What does it look like for me to walk with God at school? What does it look like for me to walk with God as an athlete? What does it look like for me to walk with God at work? What does it look like for me to walk with Him? And for me, I must humble myself daily. I used to think being humble was something that you were, that you just kind of were born with it. But I now think that being humble is something that you do. I'm not a humble guy. I can get full of pride faster than anybody in here. Therefore, I start every morning with Him. I read about the lives of these people, like these kings of Israel, and 
They've been on their, their own display for us. They've been on display for us for centuries. We can read about them. We can learn from their mistakes. And we can learn how God wants us to be. I ask for His wisdom and guidance. I figure out what needs to be done today. Today, I am to preach this Word to the best of my ability for you guys. And then I'm to enjoy time with my family the rest of the time. I'm going to go to my mom's. We're going to uh, eat lunch. We're going to eat some potato soup. Woohoo! You know? All right, I got to get a better attitude about that. Okay, if it's a if it's a work day for me, I got to pray for my students, man. I got to pray for my job. I got to pray for their learning. I got to pray that somehow I can stay in my bounds of what I can say about God, and somehow ask a question or talk to them a little bit that points them in that direction. I'm not trying to get them miraculously saved. I just want them to turn around a little bit and maybe head that way. And it must be working because I got a couple of them in here sitting right now. And thank you guys for coming. They're like, now I'm never coming. If you're going to embarrass us like that. Uh, i got to have joy on my job. And I can go with such a sour attitude, but it's prayer time now. I say, Lord, you got to give me a heart, man, that can go in here and honor you in this job. I mean, it can be a very dark and dismal place, you know, but i got to be the light. I didn't do anything to make the light. I just accepted the light. So if I can focus on Him, He'll place that light within me for everybody to see. He's the only one that can give the light. So guys, I just want, to, want you to think about that this week. What does it look like for someone who is me to walk with God in light of the job I have to do, in light of my family life, as a husband, as a dad, as a mom, whatever. What does it look like? And I ain't even asking you to go there this week, to start doing it. Just, and even if you've got no intention of doing it, just say, just be thinking about that. Tomorrow, when you get up, what does it look like for a Christian, a God follower, a Jesus follower, to, what does it look like to walk with Him in a way that other people would see, man, that person right there is different. Because that's what we want to create. That's what we want to create in here. A people who love mercy, act justly, and walk humbly with their God. Let's pray.